Welcome to Through the Keyhole. I'm your humble host, Jeremy Key. On this episode of The Keyhole, it was my distinct privilege to talk with Ms. Caitlin Fascista, founder and proprietor of Tea with Tolkien. Tea with Tolkien is a multimedia community comprised of a podcast, blog, online book club, a charming Twitter account, and even an annual Hobbit party, all of which allow people from around the world to enjoy fellowship with one another around the central appreciation of the life, work, and faith of J.R.R. Tolkien. In our conversation, Caitlin and I discuss beauty, goodness, truth, and how they are conveyed through the tales of Middle-earth, how Tolkien's Catholic faith came to influence our own, and why it's too early to worry about the Lord of the Rings on Amazon Prime series just yet. If you enjoy this episode, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Please also consider leaving a like. It helps us reach a wider audience. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy A. Key, as well as at The Keyhole, both spelled K-E-E. Here's my interview with Miss Caitlin Fascista. Enjoy the show. All right, so we are back to the Through the Keyhole podcast. I'm very excited about my guest this morning. You might know her as Tea with Tolkien. Uh, that's how I know her primarily, but her name is actually Caitlin. And she hosts she hosts a podcast called Tea with Tolkien. She runs a very popular uh, Twitter account by the same name. She loves Tolkien. I love Tolkien. That's why I wanted to talk to her. So Caitlin, thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. It's a wonderful day to do a podcast. It's always a wonderful day to do a podcast, especially <laughs> about Tolkien. Yes. Um, so I, I want to just get right into it. And I thought that we could start where it makes the most sense to start. Um, how did you get into Tolkien? Where Where did that begin for you? Okay, so when the Fellowship of the Ring movie came out, um, I think I was around 10 years old or so. And I had never read any fantasy or really gotten into any reading much at all. But my dad was given a copy of the Fellowship of the Ring DVD. And my dad is much more of a Star Wars guy. He's not into fantasy. He's a sci-fi kind of person. And so when he, I think he got it for a birthday present and he was like, I'm not really interested in it. Um, So he kind of just like, left it out like on the table or something Mm -hmm. and I saw it and I was like what is this (laughs) and so I immediately watched it and then was like obsessed with it and so then I was the nerdy middle schooler who was writing my name and elvish all over the place and um got made fun of quite a lot for that um but then it kind of followed me through high school and um like whenever we would have to do any kind of a project, like an art class, if you'd have to do um, calligraphy, I was like, oh, I'll do a Tolkien quote or an English class. If we had to analyze something, I was like, I'll analyze Tolkien. And I really felt like he was something that kind of followed me through as I was growing up, um, just like a common thread through my life. So that's kind of how I got started. And then um, Tolkien has just become more and more important to me as I've grown up, I guess. Yeah. And and you're, that's, what's interesting to me about it is that you have, you have managed to really make uh, so much of your life about Tolkien. I'm like, I I know that there are probably other aspects of your life than just Tolkien, but um, just the fact that you, you've been able to, to get so much mileage out of this, out of this person and these stories that you genuinely love, I think is, is really interesting is really remarkable really so 
So what is it about Tolkien? Like what kept you coming back time after time? I think for me, the, I mean, the initial draw was the beauty of it and the way that the story comes together and how you can see yourself in it in so many ways. And I think as I've grown to appreciate it more, understanding the way that like the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and everything Tolkien has published, really, it just makes so much sense to me. Hmm. And with a lot of other stories, you can find like a plot hole or you can find things that don't feel consistent. But with Tolkien, I feel like he had such a strong understanding of what he was writing. And to him, it was like he was telling a history of a world that really did exist, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for him, everything makes sense. And I think a lot of that kind of comes from the way that he was raised so heavily steeped in Catholicism. And then for me, as like a newcomer to Catholicism, I feel like that has really helped me a lot, um, putting the whole world in perspective. Like one of Tolkien's major themes is like the entire history of the world is one big story and you are playing a very important part in, in like a very small part of history, but yet what you're doing is really important and we're all connected yeah yeah through this same tale and so i think that has kind of been what's really stuck with me a lot yeah Yeah. and you know it's uh it's what is it it's in the two towers where where they're on their way to they're on their way to kirith ungol and sam points out that that all the stories that bilbo had told him about arendelle and and all the silmarils and all that he Sam had the epiphany that they're in that same story and they're mm-hmm. playing their own their own I don't remember if he referred to it as a small part certainly it wasn't but that they're they're still in that and yeah that seems to be very much the way Tolkien explained or presented it because you know even you say that <clears throat> that he presents it almost as if he's telling a history of the world and I believe maybe in his letters I believe that's where, I mean, I'm sure he said it many places, but he points out that he's writing this not, he doesn't feel as if he's writing this from his imagination, but more as if he's being given this information. And he writes it from the perspective of it, like being something that happened before the history that we have of what we know about human history. And so, yeah, there is, there's this different element, I guess, to Tolkien that you may, might not get from Star Wars or, or Harry Potter, or God forbid, uh, Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> of, of this is not a story. This is actually a lived-in experience that we're still continuing in some way. Right. And I feel like there have been a lot of times where I've been reading something written by Tolkien and the way that it makes sense in the context of the story has helped me to understand something like in our own primary world, like Tolkien refers to his created world as like the secondary world. Mm -hmm. And so our primary world has made a lot more sense to me after like reading the way that Tolkien presents things in his own secondary uh, sub created world. So stuff like that is super cool to me. And it's, really unique i haven't seen a lot of it in other stories 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, I guess that's, that's probably why, uh, why all fantasy after Tolkien has, has gone so hard to try to mimic him or, Again, in the example of Game of Thrones, has tried to take his beautiful image and kind of turn it on its head. Um, what do you think? Do you think that maybe? Do you think that maybe his his deep interest in uh, in like Norse mythology and 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 European mythology in general? Um, what role do you think that plays? Because like those those myths were were stories that those cultures told as a means of not necessarily telling everybody how things are, but trying to kind of make sense of, of what they believed, where they lived, what they, what they valued. And you get that sense from Tolkien as well. And, you know, he said that he wanted the Lord of the Rings to be a, a mythology for England. Um, So what do you, what do you make of that? What do you think of that? Right. And as soon as you started asking that question, that's what I was going to mention. The whole idea that he wanted to create a myth that was specifically for England because he didn't feel like they had really anything that was good enough for him. Yeah, And I know that he was very inspired by all of the Norse mythology and stuff like that. And that's not something that I've studied as much as I've studied, like the influence that his Catholicism had on him, just because um, it honestly means more to me. Um, and so I've definitely been really interested in learning more about all of the other influences that he's had, like his different mythologies that he's loved, but I know he's, he was very inspired by them and they meant a lot to him for sure. Yeah. yeah. Have, uh, what <clears throat> off the top of your head, what biographies of Tolkien have you read? Um, I have just read, I forget what it's titled exactly, but it's just the Humphrey Carpenter one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't know if you've seen the newer book by Holly Ordway, um, Tolkien, A Modern Reading. I think that's what it's called. I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. It's not as much a biography, um, but it's more about what influenced him. And Mm -hmm. I've listened to her give a couple interviews on it. And she was mentioning that she didn't feel like the, you know, the officially authorized biography of Tolkien really did him justice, especially in the ways that I talked about his influences, because apparently Humphrey Carpenter kind of wrote off the idea that Tolkien would be influenced by anything modern. And, mm-hmm. and he kind of presented the idea that he like rejected anything that was written around that same time. But in um, Holly Ordway's book, she was kind of saying that he was actually inspired by a lot of modern stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting, but I haven't had a ton of time to read a lot of biographies of him because I'm so busy reading the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion kind of over and over for our book club. Sure. Yeah. Sure. How, so uh, how many times have, if you had to guess, cause I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's many, how many times have you read the entire legendarium? Are you counting like the history of middle earth in that? Or? Oh gosh, no, that's extra okay. credits. <laughs> okay. I've probably only read The Hobbit like two times because out of all of it, that's kind of my least favorite. Hmm. Um, I've probably read The Silmarillion four or five times. Mm -hmm. And then The Lord of the Rings, probably five or six. So when I was writing my um, devotional to Middle Earth and back again, Mm -hmm. what I was doing is I was reading it 
while I was listening to the audiobook. So I've listened to each chapter. Okay. So like as I'm as I'm writing on each chapter, I would kind of just listen to the chapter over and over. So mm-hmm. I feel like each individual chapter I've probably listened to like 10 times, maybe. Sure. But as a whole, like just as it's straight read through, probably like five-ish. Okay. I mean, yeah. that's 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 respectable. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, I it's I um this isn't about me, it's about you, but I uh I kind of feel you on The Hobbit because I, I, my parents gave me uh, The Hobbit right around the time that the first movie came out, the first Lord of the Rings movie, not The Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't count The Hobbit movies. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> um, so they gave me that and I was in high school at the time and I started, I started reading it and I don't think I was able to get <clears throat> to the trolls before I was like, God, what is the big deal? about the hobbit i just don't get it and so i put it away and then the first movie came out i saw fellowship of the ring and i was like oh okay i get it and so mm-hmm. i i read all three I, I read uh fellowship two towers and and return of the king just back to back to back i think i did it in like two months maybe when i was in high school and then i went back and i watched the hobbit or read the hobbit and it was like it was like a light switch, you know, it was just like, okay, so this is, this is how it's going to be from now on. Mm-hmm. I get it now. Well, I feel like the Hobbit has such a different tone from the Lord of the Rings. It's a lot more lighthearted. Yeah. And one thing that was hard for me to get past was that it's like one adventure, one kind of like silly adventure after another. And it's like, oh, we've got the goblins and then like, we've got the spiders. And, and mm-hmm. so I definitely obviously I respect it no disrespect to the hobbit um but it's just not like my favorite thing I really really love the Silmarillion Mm. which is just so different from the hobbit and so if someone's trying to get into Tolkien for the first time and they're not really used to his writing style definitely the hobbit is a great introduction because it's a lot easier to breeze through yeah but it's not my favorite sure sure (laughs) I I totally get it um it's it's like a, it's a quaint book. Yeah. It's, it's quaint. It's charming. It's, it's not, it's not going to challenge you uh, in the ways that Lord of the Rings or even the Silmarillion are going to challenge you, but it's, it's nice. It's comfortable. Like it, the Hobbit is the most Hobbitish book I can think of. True. Yeah, that's true. That, sure. I, I think that that's how I would describe it is that you read the Hobbit and you have some experience of what it's like to be a Hobbit. Cause like for, for whatever you want to say about the Hobbit, that first chapter, just describing the life of Hobbits and Hobbit holes and, and mm-hmm. the comforts of home. It's just like you read that on a bad day and things start to get better kind of thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, why, why, what do you love about the Silmarillion? And I know that that might be a big oh, question, man. but what is it like, if you had to boil it down to just a few points, what would you say it is? Well, I think kind of going back to what I was saying before about how one of the main things you can, not main, but a big thing that I've learned from Tolkien is that everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And so after having read the Lord of the Rings a couple of times, when I was in high school, um, I finally picked up the Silmarillion my one of my best friends from high school actually gave me a copy of the Silmarillion as a wedding gift. Hmm. Um, I got married like younger. So Mm -hmm. um, 
he gave it to me and he wrote this really nice inscription in the inside. And I still have that copy. And that was really like how I first got into the Silmarillion. But, but yeah, just the way that as you're reading the Lord of the Rings, there's a lot in it that doesn't make sense. There's just a lot of mentions to the Silmarillion. And if you haven't read the Silmarillion and you don't even know what it is, you, you kind of just scratch your head and then you move on and the story goes on, but you are able to have such a, deeper grasp of the Lord of the Rings after you've read the Silmarillion. And I also just, the stories are just so intense and beautiful. And many of them are so dark and depressing, but, and yet it's still just like such a beautiful story and it means so much. And you can also see a lot of the um, influence that all of the mythologies have had on Tolkien when you're reading the Silmarillion. So I don't know. It's just amazing. It's it you is. can tell it it's his best work, I think. I I agree. It's it's it yeah, like I think you said it really well. It's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece of literature and from a guy like Tolkien to describe something that he writes as particularly beautiful is really saying something because Tolkien you know, one of the criticisms, I can't believe people criticize him for this, but one of the criticisms of Tolkien is that he, you know, he'll spend too much time describing a landscape or, mm-hmm. or you know, describing the way that, that Gondor, the Gondorian towers look or Rohan and the Rocky, the Rocky Plains and all that. It's like, how can people not just eat that up with a spoon? But different. Right. But and different, it's so immersive too. Yeah when he does that, you're really able to feel like you're there, which I think is a huge part of why his stories are so good. Because a lot of the times, if I'm, if you're reading a story and then you can't really get into it and you don't really buy into it, it just doesn't feel real to you. It doesn't matter as much in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I read an interesting theory and granted I'm about to mention Harry Potter, but we'll get back to Tolkien. I promise I read an interesting theory uh, a couple of years ago about one thing that makes Harry Potter. So, um, so gripping. And because like you hear about all these people who like, they go through all seven books back to back, like I did with Lord of the Rings and granted it, they're easier to read than Lord of the Rings. So that's part of it. But there's also something that is, I must admit, very, engaging about harry potter and and i so the theory i read was that one thing that makes harry potter feels like such a such a an engaging uh immersive book and, and world i guess is the emphasis that Rowling put on uh on making it clear what season it was in the book hmm. like it and, and so like it wasn't just they were playing Quidditch and then it was time for finals. It was like, it's autumn and school is starting and now it's winter and now we're doing Christmas things. And now the flowers are coming out because it's spring, like just making it very clear. And so it's, it, it, it delivered a better sense of the passage of time, which just adds a layer of immersion to the book. Um, and when I read that, I realized like, that's actually entirely true. I had never realized it, but, I you experience the seasons passing as you read Lord of the or as you read Harry Potter um and so like yeah with Lord of the Rings uh I'm thinking specifically about the Silmarillion and more specifically about the chapter that just describes Beleriand um oh, that chapter 
Yeah, which I, I must admit, my most recent read through, I did skip that chapter. That I, chapter is so, and it's right in the middle of the book and yeah. you're just picking up speed and then it just like knocks you over and you're so bored. Yeah. I just, I honestly, if people are new to the Silmarillion, I would just, just, just skim it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know that much about the map. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. It's like that chapter and the chapter on the Valar and the Maiar. Like Mm -hmm. those two, I think, are probably the ones that throw the people off the most because it's like, like the the, the chapter on the Valar and the Maiar is like reading Dickens. There are just so many names and so many um, things that everyone is responsible for. And it's like, yes, yes, but you really only need to remember just like, three or four of these names the rest right. of them they're in and out of the story and you're never going to hear from them again um what would you say is your favorite chapter of the Silmarillion or your favorite tale Ooh. um well I think the obvious answer is of Baron and Luthien because yeah. of how much it meant to Tolkien himself mm-hmm. so I feel like it would almost be a little bit rude of me not to choose that as my favorite Um, And there's also just so many parts in it that are so funny to me. I mean, that chapter has everything. It has werewolves. It has uh, vampire Sauron. And it has uh, like Luthien like dancing for, I forget, it's Melkor, Morgoth. Mm -hmm. Um, And like everything. And then I don't remember if it's in that chapter or the next chapter, the part where um, Thingol is like, oh yeah, you got the Silmaril? And he's like, yeah, it's in my hand right now. And then he raises (laughs) up his hand and his his hand is gone. Like that to me is so funny. And it's it's like this combination of Tolkien's like epic storytelling. There's like romance and adventure, but then there's also like this incredible humor that is so unexpected. And so I really feel like of Baron and Luthien is probably like the all-time best chapter. It almost feels like, all of the Silmarillion before that is is prologue and you're just building. And then after you get to that chapter, it's just like all falling action kind of is how yeah. it feels to me. Like that's really like the height of the story yeah. and everything hinges on that story. So I think that's probably the best one. I mean, you make a good case for it. I I was going to say um, the Ainu Lindale. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's only, only because it's so... It is such a beautiful chapter. Mm -hmm. It's so like, it's how can you not be moved when you read Tolkien's creation story, just the, the way that creation was sung into being and, 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 you know, you talk about uh, the humor of Baron and Luthien. I've always found the way that Tolkien, both Tolkien's, I guess, J.R. and Christopher, but the way that they describe, um, Melkor's attempt to throw off the music as just like trumpets and clanging cymbals. Mm-hmm. I, I just picture like a kid in a recording studio just banging on his dad's drum set and calling it, you know, Bach. Um, but yeah, I Baron and Luthien is definitely the high point, uh, I think. Um, because yeah, like after that, Baron and Luthien kind of, in my opinion, it, it kind of kicks off Lord of the Rings. In, yes, in yeah. Because, because there's like, the common thread. Yeah. yeah. Go No, go ahead. Common thread. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the way that in uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, Strider 
is like singing to himself the story of Baron and Luthien. And then um, I forget who, because I haven't read it in a while, but it's one of the hobbits is kind of like, oh, tell me about this story. Mm-hmm. And then Aragorn kind of alludes to it vaguely, but but it's like, that's what it is. And then with him and Arwen, they're kind of like a mirror of Baron and Luthien. Yeah. And so just the way that they all come together through that story is very a cool connection. Yeah, yeah. And the way that I believe I'm remembering this right in in the history of Middle Earth, legendary and whatever you want to call it, there are only what is it three instances of of men wedding elves, I believe. It's Baron Luthien, um Tour in Edril, I believe, and then that sounds right. And then Aragorn and and uh, Arwen, um, and like Baron and Luthien are the first. So like they kind of mm-hmm. kick off, they kick off basically like the redemption story of Middle Earth before it's even completely totally fallen. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good yeah for sure. Gosh, I I just finished the Silmarillion last week, and I already want to go back and read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did. Our book club was January through May. Yeah. So finished at the end of May. And I've been trying to get in the zone for the Lord of the Rings book club, which starts in like two days. And I feel like my brain is still in Silmarillion mode. So it's been really hard to switch to just get back into like hobbits and walking, (laughs) just walking, 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 walking. Sure. Um, But yeah, it's amazing. I love the Silmarillion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, it's it, it's it's a book that I like I rarely feel nostalgic about books, but it's a book that when I'm not reading it, like I know exactly where it is on my bookshelf and I always look at it and like maybe just read one chapter. Like just just scratch that <laughs> itch that you're feeling. Um Yeah. Yeah. What about so talked about the Silmarillion. What about the Lord of the Rings itself, the the trilogy. What what would you say your favorite chapter, your favorite characters, your favorite aspects or themes? Like, what is it specifically about the trilogy that just moves you? Um, definitely, I'd say my favorite character is Sam. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much to him, and you really underestimate him in the beginning. And as I was rereading the Lord of the Rings right now, I'm in the first couple of chapters and the way that he's really just treated, like he's kind of just like the help, um, is, is how he is to Frodo at the beginning of the books. But as they go on, you really see his character developing right before your eyes and you get to learn so much about him. And I think my favorite chapter is, um, I forget if it's, I always mix up the end of the two towers and the beginning of the return of the King. I think a lot of that is to do with the movies because they kind of morphed them together, but there's um, the part where Frodo has been taken by the orcs and Sam is like trying to find him Mm. and he is going up this tower as, as high as he goes and he gets to the top and he, he can't get in. He can't like find Frodo. He's just at this dead end and he sits down and he sings this little song to himself um just where he says like i will not say the day is done nor bid the stars farewell and that poem has meant so much to me I'll, a lot of the times i'll have i think right now even i have it as my 
my lock screen on my phone. <laughs> um, but Lovely. just that the way that he's like, he recognizes that there's still goodness and beauty and light and joy in the world, even if he can't see it right now. Yeah. Um, even if it's unattainable for him, like it's still there. And just to have the courage to keep putting one foot in front of another, knowing that you might be having like the darkest day of your life, but that there's still goodness and it's all worth like continuing on. Um, And then by singing his song, that's how I think the orcs hear him. And that's how he figures out where Frodo is. So it's like all kind of, his last moment of hope ends up helping him figure everything out kind of. Yeah. Um, and just like mm. saying, I won't give up no matter how dark it is kind of, that's, that's another big thing that I've learned from Tolkien is just being able to recognize that no matter how bad things feel for you, like there's still goodness, even if you don't see it at the yeah. moment. Yeah. That's that's a beautiful way of describing um, Sam and kind of the, the, the overlooked value I think that Sam brings to the story. Cause yeah, like he does start out as the help and obviously he has his big moments in the end, but yeah, it seems like as, as you say that I'm realizing that maybe the biggest, the biggest things that Sam did were, you know, seemingly the, the, the lowest points and the, mm-hmm maybe the most inconsequential things of just like keeping Frodo going, keeping that fire of hope kindled when, when, you know, they're, they're in the dark, the dark land. And there's just, there's the sun is even getting through the clouds and you can't see the stars at night. And the very air is a poisonous fume. And then there's always Sam just saying like, well, let's just get down this hill. Let's Mm -hmm. just get across this plane. Let's just, you know, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you kind of thing. Right. I feel like Sam's role is really of that supportive role Yeah. Um, where he knows he's not the main character and he knows he's not meant to be the hero, but he knows he understands like his role is to, he's, he's going to get Frodo there yeah. no matter what it takes. And I feel like, um, like in my own life, I don't really feel like I'm like the hero. I'm not really like the main character i'm not like the the breadwinner for my family mm-hmm. i'm like the supporter yeah. of my family myself a lot in the way that sam um he just sees his role as to help others and just to to carry them if he needs to yeah um so that's i just love sam i think I, he's great i i love sam too and it's as we're talking there's a puppy uh, whose middle name is Samwise curled up on my Aww. foot. Um, so yeah, that I wouldn't say that Sam is my favorite character, but only because I don't have a favorite character, but he's definitely like him, Aragorn and Faramir are probably tied mm-hmm. for my top three. Um, oh yeah. They're definitely the best three, I think. For yeah. Sure. Which again is really saying something because like every member of the fellowship, even Boromir, I think Boromir gets a bad mm-hmm. rap, but even like he did it, he did it right in the very end. It took him a while yeah. to get there, but he, he redeemed himself. And you have to think about the environment Boromir was raised in too. So yeah. he didn't come from the Shire, so he couldn't make the same choices that Frodo made. Um, and same with Aragorn, like 
Aragorn has kind of been training for this moment for his whole life. Yeah. Whereas Boromir is super confused. He's he's had his father kind of influencing his whole life. Um, and he he's not really as equipped to handle the temptation of the ring as say like Frodo or Sam or any any of the other members of the fellowship. So like I feel like Boromir could be any of us. Um yeah. I, I he had one bad day, you know? And like <laughs> yeah so like definitely he had more of like an inclination towards the desire for power but i really feel like a lot of it was due to the way that he was brought up and and everything he had been told i guess you know yeah no i mean he was brought up he was brought up by the by the steward of gondor who Mm -hmm. whose sole focus was protecting gondor and by extension the west from mm-hmm. the encroaching shadow of mordor so he was brought up in we'll just call it not the most nurturing environment I would right imagine. he like, was like raised in shadow is kind yeah. of what it felt to me and um it didn't help at all that his father denethor was like obsessed with the palantir <laughs> and so he had just this yeah. constant negative influence um and then he had obviously fought in so many battles. I, you could see how he would be hardened and kind of jaded against a lot of hope. And then you have like Frodo, on the other hand, who's just like the complete opposite, who had just been raised in, you know, the most perfect nurturing environment. So yeah, um, you can see how Frodo is able to handle the ring a lot better than Boromir. Yeah. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to, to live in Minas Tirith before the ring was destroyed and just to wake up every day and see like the smoke and the shadow of Mordor have you like have you ever wondered what that effect what effect it would be horrifying yeah I feel like you would live in like it would be very hard to hope or to have any optimism just because you're so close to that and you see it every day you know and I feel like a part of that's kind of what I keep in mind. Like when I'm raising my kids, like I want our home to be like their shire Mm. and you need, like, I want them to be like so steeped in goodness and beauty and truth and love so that they are able to like handle the horrors of the world when they leave it because they're so like grounded. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, that makes, I think about that a lot. That makes perfect sense. Um, I would recommend a book to you. Uh, it's called The Theology of Home. Oh, it's, I have that. You have it? There, There's a second one out now, too. Did you there's, know that? There's a second one out, and I, I interviewed one of the authors uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they're, they're in the process of editing the third one as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's coming out sometime next year. Um, nice. But the way, the way you described kind of trying to make your home Shire-esque, uh, it's very theology of home to me because mm-hmm. like it's, you know, in that book, it talks about how to use every aspect of your home, whether it's like your front yard, your entryway, uh, you know, hosting like get togethers and things, using all of those different aspects as a means of promoting the good, the beautiful, the true, promoting like what's, what's left to fight for in this world kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think that that's, I I think that if more people 
valued food and good cheer over <laughs> hordes of gold. Um, I think that that's very much in keeping with that. I think that's mm-hmm. a very good goal to have. Um, yeah, I think so. What, so if you had a favorite chapter in the trilogy, like just a single favorite chapter, mm-hmm. what would it be and why? It's the chapter after Frodo and Sam after the quest has been completed and they're mm. awakening, I think it's called the fields of Cormallon. Yeah. I think that's what the chapter is called. Yeah. Um, where there's that moment where Frodo and Sam are like waking up and realizing that they, they did it, you know, like the it's done, the ring is gone yeah. and they can just be like at peace. And Sam, when he sees Gandalf, he's like, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. And then he just starts crying and he's like, is everything sad going to come untrue? Like that line Mm -hmm. is just like piercing. Yeah. And so he's just like that whole chapter, Sam is just like blubbering, crying. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and then they're like giving them new clothes and everyone's getting dressed up and they're like celebrating. And I just, and like spring has come. So Mm -hmm. winter has passed and like it's spring and, and it's just like the most glorious chapter. I feel like it's it's almost like a heavenly chapter in a way. Like you've you've finished your quest and and like there's peace and joy and I don't know. Yeah, like you you've done you've done what you need to do, mm-hmm. you know, welcome home, my good and faithful servant kind of right. Thing. It totally has that kind of a feel for sure. Yeah. And so maybe that's a good segue because um and I, I don't want to butcher the wording, so I'm going to ask you to describe how would you how would you describe your podcast, Tea with Tolkien, because it's it's unique um, in its focus. And so, how would you describe it? So, I think the way that I say it is, Tea with Tolkien is a community inspired by the works and faith of J.R.R. Tolkien, and our podcast is kind of just like an extension of that. Yeah. Right now, I'm mostly using the podcast as a as an element of our book club. And so I'll do like book club episodes. Sure. But when I have more time um, in the past, I mean, I maybe did like 15 or so episodes before the book club started that were very like, topical. So I'd be mm-hmm. like, today we're going to talk about Gollum, but we approach everything from the perspective of being inspired by Tolkien's own faith. Mm-hmm. So I don't, so I think what makes our podcast interesting and why I feel really confident in doing it is I'm not, I'm not like looking at Harry Potter through a a Catholic perspective because that doesn't make sense because the author isn't Catholic, you know, or like if you were to look at game of Thrones from a Catholic perspective, I just like, I don't know why you would do that, but because Tolkien was so Catholic, he wasn't just like, Oh, I go to mass sometimes. He was like ultra, ultra Catholic, extremely (laughs) devoted, Mm -hmm. like, it affected everything. It meant so much to him. And so I think from looking at, um, we just look at his works through that very same perspective that he wrote them in and use it to kind of enrich our own faith lives. Kind of, I like to say we're growing in hobbitness and holiness. (laughs) Um, that's kind of like my goal here. That's such a good line growing in hobbitness and holiness. (laughs) I, I love that. I love that wordplay. Um, so then what what would you say that the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's life, maybe the Legendarium, however you want to look at it, what would you say 
him and his work have done for your faith? Because you said earlier that you you weren't always Catholic. You you became mm-hmm. Catholic, and it sounded like becoming Catholic and your love of Tolkien. It sounds like they overlapped. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say he was like the main reason, sure. um, but so my husband and I started. What happened was we had a really long commute every day because we each had separate jobs um, that were on opposite sides of town, but we we only had one car. Mm -hmm. So he would drive me to work and then he'd drive himself to work. So we just had a really long car ride. So we would listen to uh, Catholic answers in the car all the time. And I think it must have been somehow through listening to that, that I realized Tolkien was Catholic. Hmm. And after that, I hadn't... I mean, before that, I hadn't known a single Catholic in my life. Hmm. Like, I think my neighbor growing up was, but it's not like she had ever talked to me about it. Um, And I had this really strong perception of Catholics that, you know, that they worshipped Mary and that they worshipped the Pope and their Bible wasn't a real Bible and a lot of, of stuff like that. And so after I learned that Tolkien was Catholic, it really made me step back because I respected him so much. And he seemed to me like someone who understood the way that the world worked. Mm-hmm. And because everything that he wrote fit together so well, and his, his perspective made so much sense that it really caused me to take a second look and be like, wait a second. Like if this guy who I really respect is Catholic, like maybe this is worth looking into. Yeah. And so he was kind of like the first Catholic that I met, even though <laughs> I never really met him. Sure. Um, so I think he really like opened the door for me, I guess, because I, I had read a lot of C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. which I feel like helped strengthen my uh, general belief in Christianity. Definitely. Um, but then Tolkien was kind of like the next step that led me farther down towards what I feel like is the complete truth of yeah. Christianity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, he's, you know, you, you see these, you see people asking questions occasionally, like, what, what are, if you had to recommend three books for someone to understand the Catholic faith, what would they be? And it's always like, it's always like the Summa Theologica, City of mm-hmm. God, and Lord of the Rings. Right. It's like, it, you know, like people, it, it's such a great undercover um undercover i guess i'll just call it an evangelical tool um Mm -hmm. because there is like i know that tolkien was not uh, a fan of allegory he made that very clear that he was not an allegorical fan but you read through the lord of the rings and it's like oh limbus sounds interesting and then you realize oh that's supposed to be the eucharist well yeah after after i converted i was reading it again and i was like wait a second way bread from from heaven almost it's like Uh oh this bread strengthens you on the journey like Mm -hmm. crazy yeah yeah I mean that's one of one of the most obvious parallels now that I have that catholic perspective I was like crazy yeah yeah and like how the um how the ring was destroyed on March 25th yes and how that is historically the date of the crucifixion mm-hmm. and the the party left Rivendell on December 25th which is obviously historically the birth of Christ so it's just like right. there are all these things but then you get into it you get into it deeper and you see like the 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 pattern of what is it uh 
priest, prophet, or no, it's a, what is it? Priest, king. Yeah. Priest, prophet, and king. Yeah. Priest, prophet, and king. And so like, you see like, like uh, Frodo is one of them. Faramir is another. Gandalf is a third, but then you see Aragorn is all three. And, right. and and just like all these different all these different aspects. I remember I was reading um I think it was uh Brad Berzer's book, uh The Sanctifying Myth of oh, J.R.R. Mm-hmm. Tolkien, which is excellent. Really good. Excellent yeah. book. I'm actually interviewing him this afternoon. I'm super excited oh, nice. about that. That's um, great. But uh I remember that was the first time I encountered that concept. Um and just the way he laid it out and it was just like duh like how did I miss that before um yeah it's I just when when I when I think about Lord of the Rings I just like I eventually just become silent because there's just so much to say and there's so much one can take from it so if if you if you had to if you had to encourage someone who is maybe not familiar with Tolkien or or maybe someone who's familiar with Tolkien but maybe is not familiar with Catholicism and you want them to maybe just start seeing those parallels or be aware of them how what would you what would you say to that person like how would you sell that idea well I did write a book on it (laughs) good (laughs) so not to like plug my stuff but um I wrote a, a Lord of the Rings kind of like a companion journal slash devotional um, that kind of does introduce these elements to you. And I think a gentle way, mm-hmm. um, there's basic journaling or taking notes. And then I've got a little reflection for each chapter that usually draws out something that was in the story. Yeah. So that would definitely be something, but there are a lot of other books. I know Joseph Pierce wrote um, mm. two books. One is called Frodo's Journey and one called one is called Bilbo's Journey. And those are really good for like brand new people mm. to Tolkien. Um, they're pretty easy to read. Um, and then there's also The Philosophy of Tolkien by Peter Kreeft, which mm. I think is probably the best book that I've read about Tolkien mm. because it, it also almost reads like an introduction to philosophy and I didn't take any philosophy in college so when I was reading it I was like oh this is great because I felt like I learned a lot about philosophy and Tolkien um, which was really neat but then also um, Tolkien's sacramental what is it sanctifying myth yeah yeah that one's super good Um, so there are a lot of different books that people could pick up if they are interested in it yeah yeah for sure have you um I can never remember the author. I can never remember the author and I hate that, but it was a really good book. It's called the battle of middle earth. Hmm. I'm looking at my book stack. Oh, I actually have that right. Uh, Rutledge. Yes. Rutledge. I have it right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <funny. laughs> that, that is a, that is another, it, it's not, it's maybe not an introduction, um, but for people who, who get through the pierces and the burzers and mm-hmm. want to go deeper, um, that's a I think that that's a very good one it's unfortunately it's not written from the the perspective of a Catholic I think that Rutledge is maybe Anglican um but it's still very good uh for people who are interested in in the overlap of Lord of the Rings and and the Christian faith right Um, and there are a lot of I think I mean 
it definitely makes more sense when you look at it from a Catholic perspective, because it's going to be, you know, the, pretty much the same as him. But I also really do enjoy reading um, t- books on Tolkien by different Protestants. Yeah. Um, there's another one called The Messiah Comes to Middle Earth. I think it's by Philip Ryken. And he comes at it from a more Protestant perspective, but I, I still thought it was really interesting. And he looks at it with that same priest, prophet and king um, sort of format, I guess, is how he does it. But, and I thought that was a really good book, too. Yeah. Um, hold up. So... Uh... Being conscious of time, uh, we're coming up near the end. So I wanted to get your opinion on just a few of the uh, a few of the other aspects um, of Tolkien for people who may not be into the books so much. What are your opinion? What is your opinion of the Hobbit movies? Oh boy. Um, well, I do think that a lot of the a lot about the Hobbit movies are really good. The costuming, the setting, the everything like that, everything visual, I thought was really good. Um, and then I feel like there are a lot of individual scenes that are extremely well done. Like the first half of the first movie was incredible. And the way that they did Riddles in the Dark was really good. But I did not enjoy the way that they split it into three movies. I feel yeah. like they really could have done one movie. It yeah. could have been a, you know, a three-hour movie. That would have been fine. Um, and it could have been great, but I did not like how they added in a lot of darker elements. Like the, the Hobbit is written as a children's movie and they tried to say, what if we made it a kind of scary, intense action movie for adults instead? And so there was a lot of that, that I wasn't expecting. And so, I don't know, when you go to a movie called the Hobbit, you kind of think it would be more like the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't like the insertion of Toriel. I just wasn't into that. And this like little love triangle that was going on. I didn't appreciate that. Um, but in general, I think they did a pretty good job. From what I've read, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants when they were making the movie. So I guess I can't fault them too much, but I don't really watch them like <laughs> If I'm going to be like, oh, I want to watch The Lord of the Rings, I'll watch The Lord of the Rings. I'm not really interested in experiencing the Hobbit movies again. Yeah. Um, I saw the first one at the midnight premiere and I was so excited. And then the other two, I don't even think I saw them in theaters. I was like, um, I'll watch them when they come out at home. Like, I just completely lost all interest in it. I don't know. I They didn't do a horrible job. It could have been a lot worse, but they're just not them yeah i don't know i uh so last year during the lockdown um it's hard for me to say last year because it doesn't feel like it's any different now but Mm -hmm. when we were locked down about a year ago i guess i'll say um my roommate and i we got into the habit of uh just watching through all the various trilogies and sagas you know cinematic stuff um and he had he had gotten his hands on the the I guess the 4K ver- or the extended editions of the Hobbit movies, and so when it came, I don't time, even think I've seen those. Don't okay. Don't because oh no, like it. Well, like it. One, it's not worth the money or the time for for what is added in. 
uh, like there's one scene that is obvious why it got cut out. What's not obvious is why it got put back in. But it's a scene toward the beginning where Bilbo's just been visited by Gandalf, and and he's he went down to he went down to the market, and they're having like a market day kind of thing. And he thought he he thought he saw Gandalf's you know big pointy hat. And so he spent like five minutes just bobbing and weaving amongst the other hobbits trying to get away from Gandalf. It's like, why, why did you waste, you know, probably an afternoon filming this? But yeah, the, the huh. scene that I'm thinking of, it comes in the third movie, which I can't even remember the name of the third movie, but it comes in the third movie. Isn't that the Battle of Five Armies? That's it. Battle of Five Armies. And there, again, it's like a five minute session, a segment of of three of the dwarves and somehow they got their hands on a chariot i think and Hmm. they're just basically like gliding on a frozen river cutting off the heads of orcs in the most like just ludicrous ways um and like i i had to get up and just like refresh my beverage while that scene was on because (laughs) it was just it wasn't worth my time it just wasn't um what are your thoughts on uh, the Amazon Prime project? Okay, so I am cautiously optimistic. Um, I The way I'm looking at it is that I don't see a point in getting angry until I have a reason to get angry. That's fair. Um, I've got a year until the movie or until the first episode even comes out. So why would I spend a year being like grumpy or irritated about a show that hasn't even been released yet? Sure. So it's hard for me when people are like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be so bad. I'm like, really? You haven't seen anything about it. You haven't heard anything official. Sure. It's it's all rumor. But um, I was kind of feeling like meh on it. Either way, I'll, I'll watch it. But then when they released that photo, I was like, so frazzled when I saw it I was like the trees the trees like because it has two trees in it that look like the two trees of Valinor so then I'm thinking like my head was spinning I remember when I saw this the image on my phone I was making my kids lunch Mm -hmm. and I just had to like sit down and (laughs) I was so frazzled my parents were here and I was like I can't talk right now like I'm thinking (laughs) about this what could this mean so it has to be prologue yeah but it was so beautiful and it so after I saw that I was like okay maybe I will be a little bit excited I'm just gonna be excited until I have no reason to be you know like there's no point in just being like grumpy all the time I'll just be happy I don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I I wish that I I share that view but maybe not to the degree that you do just because like I, I think you and I even talked about this on Twitter a little bit like when they said that they had what hired an intimacy coordinator or something. Oh yeah. And then hearing about Tom Shippey leaving the project. That's and, true. And thing like things like that is like I'm I'm a recovering cynic. And so I hear things like that and it's just like don't react, don't react, don't react, give them a chance. But mm-hmm. I'm so but with the intimacy coordinator, that could mean nothing, you know? Right. The they that could just be because we we know like in Numenor they had human sacrifice so I mean it it could be something as as simple as that it could be that someone is just you know 
partially undressed because they're being sacrificed to Morgoth. <laughs> like it, it could be anything. I, I really, an intimacy coordinator is just hired to like be there as an advocate for the actors and actresses as, and just to like protect them and when they're in any kind of potentially uncomfortable situation. And so I think it's probably good that they hired one because with thing, you know, how we all know how things can be on like TV show sets, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want anyone who's not supposed to be there watching people while they're filming anything um, like intimate. So, I mean, it, it could be really bad or it could not be. And they only hired one. It's not like they had to hire 15 of them. So, so I don't know that I, I listened to an episode of the Tolkien road on that topic and it made me feel a lot better actually. Okay. So it could, you know, it, it might not be bad. They spent so much money on it too, that it would make me think that they would want it to appeal to as many people as possible. Um, which would hopefully mean families because I love that I can watch the Lord of the Rings movies with my kids. Like they are still a little bit scared, but there's nothing lewd about them. And so I can feel comfortable with them watching it. And I think that if they make it so that parents can't watch it with their kids, there's, they're going to lose out on a ton of money and, and, um, support, I think. Yeah. I think that that's a, I think that that is a good measured approach, uh, which is nice to hear these days. Um, so I want to end, I want to end with a quick lightning round. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm taking this concept from the Prancing Pony podcast because I love it and I think it's great. <clears throat> so first question, Rohan or Gondor? Gondor. Gondor. Okay. Would you rather live in the first, the second, or the third age? The third you, that was I, hard. I could I could hear the gears turning for that one. <laughs> that was hard. Like yeah, maybe no. the beginning of the second. Yeah, I, I mean there's what part of the second? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like okay. Um would you rather live in the Shire or Rivendell? Rivendell. Interesting, because you try to make your home like the Shire, but you're well, I was also gonna say during that uh while we were talking about that, I have a quote that I just put up above our fireplace. That's that quote where Bilbo is describing Rivendell. Like it was a perfect house, whether you liked food or sleep or that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um that's a good point. And that's another thing that I want. And and they also say evil things did not come into that valley. And that's another way that I feel about our house is I want it to be a perfect place for whatever kind of whatever you need and then also like a safe haven. Yeah. I like that. Um, Mary or Pippin? Mary. Okay. And finally, Arwen or Eowyn? Eowyn. Oh, okay. That For one sure. came really quick. For sure. That one came really quick. Well, um, is there is there any are there any final thoughts that you want to say about Tolkien or anything else? You guys should read more Tolkien. He's great. <laughs> Simple to the point. I like <laughs> yep. it. Uh, well, Caitlin, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. I'd love to have you back anytime. Um, Thank you. Where can people find you? Um, they can go to my website, twithtolkien.com, or they can find me on Instagram or Twitter at twithtolkien. All right. 
Well, that'll be it. Thank you for your time. And we'll be talking again soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you.